Hello, Canada, and welcome to another episode of Canadian Common Sense. This is Canadian Common Sense with Lewis and Tony. Well, hello, Canada. Today's date is June 8th, 2020. It's Tony out here in Saskatchewan. And Lewis out here in BC. Well, good evening, Lewis. And um, how are you, my friend? Um, not too bad. Not too bad. Uh, I mean, I'm, you know, I got, I got some serious gripes with what's going on in Ottawa. But, uh, you know, what else is new? Well, yep, that is true. I uh, will start the show with a positive because today just happens to be my mother's birthday. So love you, mom. Happy birthday. 75 years. Wow. Happy birthday, Tony's mom. Yeah. So uh, that may be one of the few shining lights of the show tonight. So on the show, we will discuss our government full of hypocrites. Uh, Canada's unemployment rate is really high let's just say that and canada's telecoms leave the government behind so let's jump right into it and let's talk about some of those hypocrites we have and sadly it's not even just in ottawa it's our provincial leaders our civic leaders and what am i talking about well ever since the very tragic murder of george floyd in minneapolis in the united states there have been protests, you know, of uh, anti-black racism all over the country. And while I will always be, you know, anti-racism and I always support people's right to protest, what bothers me is that Justin Trudeau decided to come out of his hidey hole at Rideau Cottage to come to a protest. And this protest in Toronto where he was at, I believe it was in Toronto, um, there were thousands of people out there and... A, the crowd size was much more than 30. B, there was not a lot of social distancing going on. And while Mr. Trudeau and his cabinet ministers did have masks on, uh, had it not been for their armed security, there would have been absolutely no social distance between he and his his two ministers and the rest of the crowd. Let's yeah, start well, there, there, a lot there more. Was a, yeah, and there was no social distancing between him and his ministers. None. There was no there was no social distancing between him, his ministers, and their security detail. Another good point. And there was, and there was no security or social distancing between the security detail and the crowd around them. Nope, like, that's right. Like they, he he says it's too dangerous to go back to the House of Commons and have regular sit-ins, but he'll go out into a protest with people not wearing masks, uh, not social distancing. And all that for a photo op. And yes, it was a photo op. It was nothing more than a photo op. Because if you look at those photos, it is staged, man. It is so staged. The ministers and Trudeau all standing exactly the same way with their hands together in front of, their, uh, in front of them. It was, it was almost... It, it was so set up, it was embarrassing. Well, really it was. And there was a video, which I'm sure a lot of uh, you, Canada, have seen, where someone's videoing and Mr. Trudeau looks right at the camera and then 
within seconds drops to one knee. I'm like, come on. Yeah, and he and if you look at the official photos, uh, Trudeau and his ministers are on one knee, but nobody around them is. Like they, it, this was purely for a photo op. Yeah, and that's really really sad. Like uh, on the surface. I have so many problems with this just because it is Mr. Trudeau himself who has said, stay home or there will be consequences and stay safe. And that's why he was self-isolating in, in his, in Rideau cottage for 50 days. But, Oh, if it's a protest, no, 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 come on out. doesn't matter how many of you come out and yep. I'm going to be there for the photo op with these two ministers. And I saw a picture of Catherine McKenna at, a protest whether it was that same one i don't know but it's just i almost would have felt better actually i would have felt better had the government said yes by all means protest but sorry crowd size 30 social distancing masks imagine how that would have gone over yeah and i mean it's it's uh i don't know there's just so much wrong with what what happened i mean it's it's just another hypocritical moment in Justin Trudeau's political life. And there's been a lot of them. Well, there is, yeah. And there has been, absolutely. And and you're right that everything was staged for the photo op. And of course, you know the the king of selfies certainly is not, you know, has never seen a photo op that he turned down. It just the hypocrisy absolutely bugs me because you and I who actually live in the real world see that there's businesses who can't afford to reopen. There's people who don't have jobs and don't know where their where their next month's rent is coming from. And we were told, nope, you've got to stay home. We've got to shut everything down for the good of society, unless there's a good chance for a photo op. And that just, it just, it tells me that either A, they really didn't care all along, or B, there's some other agenda we don't know about, but I'm really not a conspiracy type, so it's, I don't know what to think. I really don't well, know what to think anymore. I mean, <laughs> it's getting so silly that there was uh, a health, I think it was a health authority somewhere in the U.S. It might have been, might have been Minnesota, to be honest, um, where they stated that Going to a protest is not going to be a health uh, hazard or a danger to the spread of COVID-19, but going to a protest against the uh, lockdown would certainly be dangerous to your health and <laughs> a danger to the spread of COVID-19. Oh, for crying out loud. Yeah. So, which is it? Is it dangerous or isn't it? Like, and that and that's something that it, it's true. It was a quote right from a report, uh, and I've I, I I can't look it up right now because if I if I try to look it up on my phone, it actually will disconnect me from the show. But I do have the quote. I have posted it on Facebook. I believe you even saw it. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's ridiculous. Like it, it's. I, is is it dangerous or isn't it dangerous? Because it's not going to be not dangerous at one protest and dangerous at a different protest. 
Well, that's right. Yeah, and I think that was a Fox News clip, if I'm not mistaken. But it was. Yeah, uh, yeah it was. Just it's just ridiculous. Like I, uh, I did actually hear one commentator in the in the states say that okay, this has been going on for almost 13 days. So if we don't see a major outbreak in a day or two, then all this was for nothing. So let's just open things back up. And I thought, you know what? That's actually pretty bang on because it's supposed to be a 14 day incubation period. So we should be seeing an absolute spike in cases right now. Yeah. Well, to be fair in some of the States that have opened up, they are seeing a spike in cases. Um, Like Texas is experiencing the most uh, new cases that they've seen since this all started. Okay. Uh, So, I mean, but the question of course is, are they just cases? Are they just positives? Are they mild, um, mild symptoms or asymptomatic? How many of them are serious? How many of them are in the ICU? But they don't give you that information right now. Yeah, that's true. And, and uh, so then it kind of goes back to what we were saying at the beginning. I mean, the people who may test positive but feel fine. I know the U.S. Yeah. Is, is going very hard on testing right now. So I guess that also will, will bump their numbers up. Yeah. Yeah, it's so well, that's definitely true because yeah, they are ramping up the testing a lot more than even Canada has. Yeah. Canada so, in fact, is lagging behind the world in testing. I did hear that over the weekend, yeah. That uh, that they're actually uh well I don't know if it was World Health Organization, but who it was was kind of wagging the finger at Canada that we're uh we're not pulling our own weight as it were. Well, the World Health Organization can pound sand. <laughs> yep. I don't care. Right. I don't care what they I, I don't care if they're pointing out something that really is a problem or not. It's they they contributed to the spread of this disease, so I don't give a rat's you know what about what they think. Yep, nope, that's a good point. It's you know what one more thing that bugs me with these protests and I'm not sure it is in British Columbia, although I'm sure it's probably the same, is that when there was a protest in Regina and in Saskatoon here in Saskatchewan, uh, the Regina protest, our Premier Scott Moe decided he had to be there. And protests in Saskatoon, I did see my MLA, who's an NDP, um, she posted on her Facebook page that, that, that she was at the protest for solidarity. And uh, what I found funny was that she was there with two supporters or two people at any rate. And even right in her post, she wrote social distancing and wearing masks. Like, okay, well, you're wearing masks, but the three of you are like all, you know, huddled in together for the selfie. So don't tell me you're social distancing. And I know there was other candidates for our upcoming election who were also at the protest to uh, be seen. And I just, again, said, you bunch of hypocrites. If you can all go to this protest where there are thousands of people, then why the hell are we not opening up our economy? Yeah. Well, and why aren't we opening up Parliament? Like, Yeah, I mean, if what, you can be downtown Toronto what, what, with 3,000 people. Why can't you be in the House of Commons with 338? Yeah, because, I mean, I'll be... The thing is, is that what what's happening right now in the Canadian government is unprecedented. They, they're, they've got the, the fastest growth of spending in the history of of Canada and there's no oversight no debate 
no uh, scrutiny, no oversight. The and 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 I'm sick and tired of people saying, "Yeah, but it's a pandemic. We we need them to just do what they have to do." Okay, I agree that they that we need to let them do what they have to do, but do they have to do what they're doing? That's my question. And the only way we get answers is if they're in the House of Commons to answer them. And other countries are are in their uh, legislatures and they're debating it quite vigorously too. In in Australia and the UK and other countries, they're they're actually doing they're actually doing their jobs and they're doing what they're supposed to be doing as government and opposition parties. And yet here in Canada, nope, we're going to take a vacation. And and I know that the Conservatives are in the middle of a leadership uh, race and uh, that Andrew Shear is a lame duck leader, but where the hell are the Conservatives? Like It's like they've fallen off the face of the earth. You never hear from them much anymore. You, they it's like they don't exist and they had a higher popular vote than the governing liberals who won with the lowest per vote percentage in the history of Canadian elections. And the conservatives have been muted. Yeah. And I'll actually go back to one of your points is that, yeah, the MPs are doing what they have to be doing. In my opinion, what they have to do is get their asses to work. And that actually also goes for the Conservative Party of Canada. Like you, I mean, yeah, I understand that Andrew Scheer is a lame dunk, but that's not an excuse. He is still the leader of, of her, loyal, her Majesty's loyal opposition. And I, I'm, I'm not willing to give them a pass on, oh, well, the media is just not covering it, or the media is not picking it up. B.S., you're the leader of the opposition. I'm sure you can get at least one camera in your face at least once a day, if not every couple of days. Mr. Shear should be having his own re- reply to Mr. Trudeau's daily news briefings ready as soon as Mr. Trudeau is done so they can go right to him. I don't give him a pass at all on his, his absence from his job. He is still the leader of the opposition until a new conservative leader is is elected in August. So he... He needs to get his ass to work. Yeah, I agree. And maybe the Conservatives should have picked an interim leader, uh, mm-hmm. like they did last time with Rona Ambrose. Yeah, because, absolutely. Because uh, I mean, I can, I as you know, I can, I can understand if he doesn't want to do the job anymore. If he knows he's he's on his way out the door in the in a month, but um, and an interim leader might take a lot more interest in it. And, and might be more fiery and out there, you know, making themselves heard um, because they may have an interest in becoming leader down the road. Right. True. Yeah. Um, but, but that's not the case. It's not what we have. So what we do have is a silent opposition. And yes, the NDP helped with that by making sure that we only get four hours of debate on $200 billion worth of spending. Um, But the Conservatives right now are not making a good case for Canadians to vote for them in the next election. That's actually a very good point. They they really aren't. Like, uh, 
even if you look on social media, which is, in my opinion, the lazy man's way out for as far as getting your message out there goes, I'm not even seeing a lot of them on social media. I do see Peter McCain, Aaron O'Toole with the odd tweet, and I do see Senator Denise Batters is very active on Facebook and Twitter. But when you've got a, a senator who's a lot more active in the public media than those who want to be prime minister, what does that say about the party? Well, yeah, and, and like, I really expected a lot more out of uh, both Peter McKay and Aaron O'Toole. Um, I would have expected them to be in front of the media every day yeah. during this. Or at least every other day. But I haven't even seen them. Not even once a month. I just haven't even seen them. Yeah, you're right. They seem to be, you know, quite happy to to email the membership and whatnot. But yeah, and I think that both of those two did make a statement last week. But yeah, where where are they every other day? Yeah, I just, I mean, here's the thing. I have it on very good authority that the Conservative Party is preparing for a fall election. The, the, which could be good. It could be bad. Um, the problem is, is that Trudeau will not be tabling a budget before the election if there is an election this fall. So Canadians are not going to see just how bad everything is before we have an election. If Ooh. the election is not until next spring or next summer, um, uh, I have been told that the Conservative Party is not expecting Justin Trudeau to be the leader going into that election, and that, uh, and that uh, because they they feel that they'll probably get slaughtered in that election because uh, they will have to table a budget before that election happens. Hmm. Well, and I, uh, I mean, good that the Conservative Party is preparing for an election, I guess is what I should have said. I'm not certain that I have much appetite for a federal election this fall. I mean, I'm going to have a provincial election here, which is neither here nor there. But you make a good point that there wouldn't be a budget because the House will not sit until September 21st. So I wonder if uh, perhaps you're right. We had a discussion, I think a couple of shows ago, we talked about it because I was asking if you know, perhaps Mr. Trudeau would just engineer the demise of his government, but maybe your point that he might just go to the governor general and ask to dissolve parliament that you know he feels he needs a majority mandate to push through with uh, with you know his disastrous spending or whatever the excuse is, and perhaps Julia Payette will just say, "Yeah, all right." Well, of course she will. She was appointed by him. Yeah. So, I mean, I just. I, I, I must say that Mikhail Jean was appointed by Paul Martin and she actually worked with Mr. Harper when uh, there was the attempted coup in 2008 and she took the job seriously and fulfilled her role as she should have. And it wasn't just, you know, Paul Martin's lapdog. So uh, I don't see Julie Payette having that kind of backbone, but it was nice to see that there is a precedent at least. Yeah, well, Julie Payette, I don't know that she really takes her job seriously. She doesn't in the first place. Yeah. 
No. I mean, she does, there's been events that the governor general hosts that she didn't even show up for. So, <laughs> I mean, like the governor general awards, she didn't even go to it. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, I don't think that she takes the job seriously. Michaela Jean absolutely took the job seriously and she did a good job at it. Uh, same with uh, David Johnston, too. Yeah. Um, but, uh, um, yeah, I just don't see her as a serious person in this role but um so i i just i just don't think that she would deny trudeau the election if he wants it now the thing is is that um would trudeau even win the election this fall because i think canadians might be looking at it and and be like you know what this just screams of opportunism yeah there's that and I'm not sure what the groundswell is like in other parts of the country, but out here there's certainly a, a very sour mood now that uh, with the whole protest thing going on that I was just talking about. It's like, okay, wait a minute, you've bankrupted families, but it's okay if those families have gone out and protest. We can't bury our dead, but we can go protest. And it's 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 actually pretty uh, well to me impressive to hear as many people expressing that kind of anger as are now. So I, I mean, this part of the country, obviously the Trudeau liberals would never do well anyway, but, but you're right. There might be a, a, a backlash and say, uh, yeah, a opportunism and B, how dare you shut us down for, for what appears to be nothing. Yeah. Well, I mean, we've got three, I mean, we've been in this, what, for three months now. Yeah. when they originally told us it was going to be a few weeks. Right. And now we're three months in. Uh, BC is opening up uh, quite a bit now. Um, uh, Ontario looks like a complete crap show. I mean, they've got, if you live in this city, you can open up. If you live in that city, you can't. And they might be next door neighbors, right? And mm-hmm. um, and there's no travel uh, restrictions on people in Ontario, so you could go from a city that has that's been locked down still, like Toronto or Hamilton, and you could drive out to cottage country and use their uh, restaurants, but you mm-hmm. can't use a restaurant in your own city. So it's it's a yeah, it's a bit of a bleep show out there. So. Yeah, and um, actually, speaking of, of economies opening up some more, uh, phase three, I believe they called it, for the Saskatchewan reopening plan began today, and restaurants are now opened up here, province-wide, uh, 50% capacity. And what's exciting for me, because I am have gotten back into being fat and out of shape, is that the gyms are open today. And my particular gym has decided to buck the trend of others. Other gyms were booking like making their members book only a half hour time slots and no gym can use a change room so you have to show up in your gym clothes and but my gym thankfully have said that yeah no to the change room but at least you can just they said come on in do your thing and you know keep the equipment clean keep your distance and try to avoid peak hours so i thought that's great i mean i'm not going to be there that long anyway but it's just nice for the more hardcore people that they don't have to try and rush everything into a half an hour. 
Yeah, I was going to say half an hour seems like a pretty short workout session. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so we've got hypocrites all over the country. (laughs) We've got uh, all kinds of different jurisdictions that are opening finally. Uh, We've got protests all over the place. Uh, it's, I I think this is, this is one crazy year, man. I don't know what to say. It's a crazy year. Yep. And, uh, I think I'll move into Canada's unemployment rate. The, our latest figures came out and the national unemployment rate sits currently at 13.5%. And, all I can think was the last time I remember numbers that high was in the 1980s when I was coming of age and there was a prime minister in charge who just happened to be named Trudeau and brought in this national energy policy in 1982 or three or whatever it was. And then because I grew up in Alberta, our unemployment rate was in the double digits at that time. And here we are again. Yeah. And um, the U.S. unemployment rate, believe it or not, is a full percentage point better than Canada's, Um, which if you looked south of the border and watched their news and everything, you would think that they're having uh, like an apocalypse down there. And and yet they've got uh, a lower unemployment rate than we do. So. She um, added 200 and some thousand jobs last month. <laughs> yeah, I like how they <laughs> worded that. They added 220,000 jobs. No, no, those jobs weren't added. Those were jobs that became available again. Right, yeah, that's a better because way to put those it. Are, yeah. those, are biz- those are businesses that were o- that opened up again. That wasn't jobs that were added to the economy like what a way to make it sound like the like the liberals have done something great you know like (laughs) it it isn't they haven't done anything great that's just that's just businesses that have been allowed to open again yeah like it just irritates me when they when they try to make it look like something good when it's not i mean yeah it's good but it shouldn't have happened in the first place. Well, that that's the thing. And obviously those up there in the rivalry towers in Ottawa don't care as much because they still have their jobs. They still are going to get their pensions at the end of it. And they don't know, they don't see, and they don't care about that couple who's poured their entire life savings into this business and worked 16 hours a day and had no life for the last five years trying to build a business up and then have it shut down for three months and not be able to reopen because they've exhausted every cent they had. And that's what breaks my heart. Yeah. And I mean, and I like, this is there, there's a, in my town where I live, there's right on main street downtown. There's, at least, and this isn't a big town, okay, there's at least five businesses that have closed down for good. That's sad. Yeah, 
It's and it's tough to have a business in this town in the first place, and five of them have just disappeared. So I mean, like, it just it just irritates me to no end that that because I'm a business owner and I know how fragile it is. And when the government tells you you are not allowed to make a living. Like you're not allowed to make a living and you could lose everything because of that. Yeah. Well, that's I mean, actually it's, exactly it's, how it's wrong. It is. It's scary. And it's, and it's detrimental to not just your financial situation, but your mental health. Yeah. And actually that's another good point. That's something that you and I had been talking about for months now is that watch out for that mental health crisis coming up. I mean, we're already seeing, and I've been, I mentioned this in a previous show, uh, uh, an RCMP friend of mine had said that even even later in March, he was already seeing the number of domestic calls going up. And he said, that's, that's not getting any better. And I have a funny feeling that's actually going to get a lot worse. Oh, yeah. And, and I mean, just wait. Just wait until six, eight, ten months from now. This is... The, the economic fallout from what we're going through right now and what we've gone through for the past three months has not even started. Like, which, this is the beginning, what we're experiencing right now. Yep. Six months from now is when the, sh- the other shoe drops. That's when the number of bankruptcies are just going to go through the roof. That's when, you know, businesses that have tried to get going again are going to go under. Like the ones that, that, that they had no choice, but, but they're going to try and make a go of it and they're not going to be able to make it like restaurants. Restaurants cannot survive on 50% occupancy. They can't. No, not a chance. I mean, they, they operate like the average small business. This is restaurants. This is, you know, landscapers. This is construction workers. The average, like, you know, uh, little clothing stores, all these things. The average small business in Canada operates on a 4% net profit. Yikes. 4%. Okay. So if you cut a restaurant's occupancy by 50%, they're losing money on a lot of it. So the, you're going to start, that's five, six months down the road from now is when you're going to start seeing a lot of restaurants going out of business. You're going to be seeing a lot of other small businesses going out of business. You're going to see a lot of people defaulting on their mortgages because, you know, right now you haven't really been seeing that because people have been deferring their mortgages. Well, a few months from now, when you, they, you know, when they're, we've like, you can only, your mortgage deferrals are only good for another couple of weeks or, or a month even now. So it's not going to be long before people can't make their mortgage payments anymore. Yeah. And, and and this is this is what I'm talking about and this is what I've been talking about since the beginning of all this since 3 months ago. The the economic fallout from this is not even going to be uh felt in its full entirety until this coming winter. Yeah, that's And big. it's going to be bad. Well, it is and it's uh well, it worries the hell out of me. I mean, we've we've talked about this before that I mean, yep, there's, well, I mean, there's businesses already that just simply can't reopen because they're broke already. 
and we've seen that. But you're right. I mean, the mortgage deferral period, I think their maximum is six months. So that's going to be September, October when people are going to be hit with those bills. And utility companies who have offered deferrals, well, there's a lot of people who have taken them up on that. And suddenly they're going to get hit with a $1,000 utility bill. So we're going to see late fall people who just can't make any heat anymore. And you know what happens when people start to get desperate? And that's what scares the hell out of me. Yeah. And don't don't forget, not just your utility bills, not just your mortgages, but your property taxes, because they've all been deferred until September. Right. So those are coming due in September, too. And your $1,000 utility bills are coming due in September. Your mortgage is coming due in September. Like, and this is what I said at the beginning when I, when I, I, when my wife and I were talking about things, because my wife's income has dropped by 70%. um, I said, we have to continue making our payments. No matter what, like we, we have savings that we're able to tap into and so we have to continue making our payments because if we don't make our payments, all of this is going to come due at the same time. That's right. And it's going to be financial destruction for people. Yeah, it really is. And uh, that's actually my wife and I had a similar talk. And luckily, both of us work in businesses that were declared essential. So we are, our, our incomes weren't affected. And she had used it. Oh, maybe we could pay some other bills off. And I was just like, I don't probably shouldn't do that. And then uh, so, yeah, we made the decision, too. It was like, nope, we're not uh, taking taking anybody up on any of these deferrals. And we're just going to keep plodding away. Yeah, well, I mean, because my wife took a 70% hit on our income, we did defer our mortgage payments, but we continue to pay the interest. Oh, that's, that's, so, that's good, good enough, at least, anyway. Yeah, so we're making the interest payments right now, still. So the principal will be tacked on to the end of our mortgage, but we're still paying the interest, so that isn't going to come due. Right. But but a lot of people that is going to come due because they've deferred the entire payment. Exactly. Yeah, and that's that's really going to bite them in the you know what. So. Oh yeah, big time. Yep. So. Yeah, and and uh, now the other one other thing I wanted to talk about was this lovely gun ban. Um, fire away. And, how, <laughs> and, and what's that? It said fire away. Oh, groan, groan, groan. Um, The one thing that was told to me by um, my federal uh, conservative MP was that because the gun ban was an ordering council, all it takes from a new conservative government is an ordering council to cancel it nice it does not take legislation or anything like that um because if it if it if they had gone through the the proper channels gone through the house of commons and still passed it um it would be much much more difficult to reverse 
but because it was an order in council, all it takes is an order in council to squash it. Oh, well, that, that's encouraging. Yeah. So, and, but one thing he did say was that if it had gone through the proper channels, maybe a lot of the, a lot of this confusion and how several guns are, you know, being added to the list after the fact, because the RCMP are looking at it and they're, they're interpreting the, the uh, the descriptions of what is legal and what is not, and they're the ones that are adding these guns, right? Yeah, um, because they're interpreting it, going, "Oh, the bore size and the velocity and all this kind of stuff," and they're going, "Well, that includes a twelve gauge shotgun or a ten gauge shotgun or whatever." So they're all these guns that are being added on is because of the interpretation by the RCMP. And he he said, and he said, if they had gone through the proper channels, all this stuff could have been caught and it could have been corrected. No, good. Right. Yeah. But it wasn't, but it wasn't done through the proper channels and it wasn't caught and it wasn't corrected. And he said, at best, this is, incompetence uh that it was so poorly written that it's down to incompetence at its best at its worst they intentionally did this they intentionally wrote it poorly that would uh, be one bit so i don't know it honestly wouldn't surprise me if it was incompetence or if it was on purpose yeah, well, it's what I found funny. I saw, I read this uh, little. It was a post somewhere, anyway. And Dewalt actually makes a nail gun that has enough force and velocity that it could be banned. <laughs> what? Yep. <laughs> Get out. Yeah, Dewalt has an air nailer that is actually capable of that that velocity. <laughs> wow. Yeah, so that I um, want that I want that air nailer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. So uh one more thing I want to touch on before we uh get out of here for the night, because we've only got a few more minutes, is we would talked about Huawei and Trudeau is still dithering on whether or not Canada will ask Huawei to help develop our five G networks. Well, the telecoms have finally decided that they're not waiting for Mr. Trudeau and they're making up their own minds. So uh, the big three, Rogers, Bell, and Telus. Now Rogers Communications had actually signed a deal with Ericsson in 2018 to help develop their 5G network. But in the last week, both Bell and Telus had decided that they aren't going to wait around for Mr. Trudeau. So Bell signed a deal with both Nokia and Ericsson and Telus signed a deal with Ericsson and Videotron signed a deal with Ericsson to develop their 5G networks. So I'm kind of thinking they made up Mr. Trudeau's mind for him without Mr. Trudeau getting the chance. Yeah, well, the same thing kind of happened in Great Britain, too. Um, Great Britain uh, didn't really make a decision either, and they waited and waited and waited and waited, and then the telecoms all signed deals with Nokia and Ericsson and and all that and completely left Huawei 
out in the cold. And then Great Britain, like Great Britain, I don't even know if they still have banned Huawei or not, but they they didn't need to ban them because the telecoms did it for them. And it was all in the in the name of not trying to piss off China, which is what's happening here too, because Justin Trudeau loves China. Yeah. And he doesn't want to piss them off. But um, I, I really urge everybody to listen. Go listen to, uh, go find the Roy Green podcast from the from this past weekend. Um, he uh, he spoke with former uh, Canadian ambassador to China, uh, Ambassador uh, Mulroney, and uh, and Ambassador Mulroney had some scathing things to say about. Justin Trudeau and his relationship with China and how it's he does that Trudeau doesn't seem to understand that our friendship with China is fake, that it's not real and that China will do whatever they have to and they don't give a damn about us. And he's the former ambassador to China and he, he had some really real, like truth bombs for you. And it was really interesting to listen to. Yeah. Well, he, he's absolutely right on all those things. And so I really hope that, I don't know if it's just, if it's Gerald Butts and Mr. Trudeau's band of radical advisors that are there got him, you know, dithering on Huawei or if it's just Trudeau's own love of China, but we really need to say no to Huawei. Now I mentioned in our last show that my own, Telecommunications company SaskTel has Huawei equipment, but even they have said if Canada decides to ban Huawei, they'll they'll get rid of it. So uh, I'm saying, yep, let it go. I mean, SaskTel is the only telecom in Canada that has said you know that has Huawei equipment. So get it out of there. Let's uh, let's officially ban Huawei because I mean the deal's already done. So all Mr. Trudeau now has to say now is he could just throw his hands up and say. There's nothing I can do that all the telecoms have gone with Ericsson or whatever. So, I mean, he could very easily just back out of it, but he's just intruder. Well, it's like, it's like, come on, SaskTel, just do it on your own. Don't wait for the government to tell you. Exactly. Just do it. Yeah. And I mean, it's, uh, I can't remember what I was going to say. <laughs> that, that's all right. I mean, they do need yeah. to do it. I mean, at this point in time now, the writing is on the wall. So, you know, why hold out? I mean, I guess I realize it's a multi-million dollar investment, but better off to make that that reinvestment now than, you know, have to play catch up once you're forced to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Ooh, all right. Well, I think I got everything off my chest I needed to get tonight. I did too. All right. So, see Canada, we're not leaving you with complete doom and gloom at the end of this episode, but uh, <laughs> we, we did our best to throw at least a little bit of sunshine out, out there, but there just isn't a lot of sunshine to throw right now in Canada's political environment. So, we'll keep you up to date with as much stuff as we can, and we certainly do want to thank you for tuning in tonight. So, uh, yeah. Till next time, it's Tony out here in Saskatchewan. And Lewis out here in BC. And come on, Canadian Conservative Party. Get out there. Make yourselves heard. Come on.
Here, here. Yep, could not agree with you more. All right. Good night, Canada. Good night. This is Canadian Common Sense with Lewis and Tony.